Compliance, the final frontier. Tom Fox is the voyager of trekking through compliance. His mission, to explore the original series and seek out and share what it can teach you about compliance. Here's your host, Tom Fox. Hello everyone, this is Tom Fox. I would like to welcome you to a special Encore series of Trekking Through Compliance. This series will focus on the 2020 television show Picard. In this series, I'm joined by Megan Doherty. Megan is co-founder and partner at One Stone Creative, a podcast production firm. Megan is a Star Trek aficionado, although a Voyager Star Trek aficionado. And as all you listeners know, I'm an original series aficionado. Nevertheless, we both love Jean-Luc Picard, and we are going to explore the lessons learned and the shows and our love for Star Trek in the context of Picard. So sit back and enjoy this special presentation from Trekking Through Compliance. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, and I am back again with Megan Doherty, co-founder of One Stone Creative, and uh in on our special five or rather multi-part series on Picard's uh, television series on a special series of Trekking Through Compliance. Today we're going to take up episode five, Stardust City Rag. And remember that uh, we will review the entire episode, discussing it in depth. So if you haven't seen it and you don't want to hit any spoilers, uh, watch the episode, then listen to this podcast. In this episode, in a flashback, we see Seven of Nine mercy-killing Ikeb, a former fellow Borg drone saved by Voyager after his Borg implants have been ripped out by a black marketeer, Basil, or something close to that name. In the present, La Serena arrives at Free Cloud, where Raffi discovers that Maddox is being held prisoner by the same Basil, who intends to sell him to the Tal Shiar. Picard's crew plans to recover Maddox by staging a prisoner exchange with Seven of Nine and her Borg implants as the bait. When Basil recognizes Seven of Nine, Seven of Nine drops the charade and reveals her true intention to kill Basil to avenge Ickham. Uh, Picard persuades Seven to relent and Maddox is safely recovered and beamed to La Serena. Afterwards, Seven returns to Free Cloud and murders Basil without Picard's knowledge. In the sick bay, Maddox tells Picard he knows about Soji and Dodge, explaining that he sent them to Earth and to the artifact, or the Borg Cube, in order to discover the true motivation behind the synthetic's ban. After Picard leaves them alone, a, cheer, a Gerardi tearfully murders Maddox in a move called by Megan, I think, in episode <laughs> one. Um, with, I knew it. <laughs> uh, saying, if you had seen what I saw. Meanwhile, Raffi tries to connect, reconnect rather, with her estranged son, Gabriel, who is married to and expecting a child with a Romulan woman in a pretty tender and touching scene. Uh, she is rebuffed and returns to drinking and drugging on La Serena. So, Megan, lots going on in this episode. Um, uh, very intense. Mm-hmm. I hope for all the uh, Voyager fans out there, for all the TNG fans out there, caught all of the references because it got deep 
and it mm-hmm. got in a hurry. And uh, I didn't know if we'd start, we should start or end with this, but I'm going to start with it uh, because I found it so poignant near the end, a short exchange between Picard and Seven of Nine, uh, where they where they both talk about regaining their humanity and regaining mm-hmm. it having been Borg drones. So what was your take on that? Uh, I, I love that because, I mean, being a Voyager fan, there was so much of Seven learning to be a human. And part of it, I think being human also means sometimes being awful. Um, so I, I like that she went back for the actual revenge. And I thought there was also an interesting parallel um, with Rafi's drug use because being addicted, you know, has a perceived loss of humanity as well and how you experience the world and other people treat you and you relate to people. So I thought it was really interesting how um, that kind of discussion of humanity between Picard and Seven really translated to other members of the crew too. I had always thought that when Seven of Nine was on Voyager, she really accepted being a drone and being a Borg, member of the collective, as opposed to Picard who seemed to fight being a drone and it really pained him after he was returned uh, to uh, the Enterprise by his crew in part two of The Best of Both Worlds. Mm -hmm. And then again in the movie, um, Star Trek uh, Resurrection, I think. Um, And uh, he really seemed to struggle with that a lot more Mm -hmm. than she did. Did I misread that or is that just a different viewpoint? Well, I think you got it because Seven was raised by the Borg, right? She was assimilated when she was such a young child. Right. And Picard had all this experience of humanity um, that the Borg technology was effectively fighting with. And Seven had to learn humanity almost after the fact. So I think they're, you know, what happened to them was really similar, but it, it's such a different context in their lives. Yeah, I don't think it would be the same th- experience that they would have. You know, I had thought somewhat along those lines, but I want to say I was somewhat confused when uh, in the confrontation scene in the pub or the bar, mm-hmm. um, when uh, Bijel, um, or rather... Uh, Advisal, yeah, calls um, Seven of Nine by her human name, Hanukkah. And yeah. I, I had thought that that meant that they they seem to have a familiarity beyond simply hunter and hunted um, or tormentor and tormentee um, that I thought perhaps they had been raised together or something. Yeah, I, I, I thought, I mean, that was a confusing, I found a lot of this episode was kind of confusing because it was so pa- fast paced in terms of like, here's all this like critically important plot information in 30 seconds. Uh, so I watched that, that particular bit a couple of times. And I think they worked together when Seven was kind of an, initially became a ranger uh, and that they were, because Bejazel mm. or whatever her name was, um, was kind of a plant there to get access to the extra Borg and kind of pulled them out of that context. So I think they they were like rangers together, um, but it, it was it was really glossed over what their relationship was. And I mean, I hadn't heard Annika uh, as a name come up in a long time. Uh, I didn't even think Seven identified with it anymore, really. Right. Um, so that was it was strange. Their whole relationship I thought was really weird, and and just like that character Bejazel or however it's pronounced is like cartoonishly evil. Right, like, like it, was, it wasn't like your your normal run of the mill Star Trek evil. This was like cartoonishly violent and and criminally evil. It was like a Batman villain more than more than a Star Trek villain, which I thought was kind of weird. So, what? Uh, why don't you give our audience the backstory on uh, Seven of Nine and Ikup? 
Okay, so um, at some point in Voyager, I can't remember exactly when, um, the crew runs into um, some very young Borg. So they were they were Borg that had been assimilated as they were children from whatever species they were. And Seven of Nine kind of uh, led their return to humanity, um, acting kind of as a surrogate mother figure to them. And she developed a particularly close relationship with Icheb, um, who was a brilliant astrophysicist. Um, in one excellent scene, he beat um, Tuvok at a complicated Vulcan game to the amusement of all. Um, but they had a really close relationship. He became, you know, a Starfleet Academy student and joined um, a career within uh, the Federation. And as Seven said in this episode we just watched, um, you know, he was the closest thing she had to a child. He was part of her family um, and was horribly, brutally, graphically uh, murdered <laughs> by... Very graphic. Wow! Yeah, I, I watched this episode with my parents. And that's uh, my whole history of Star Trek. Is I started with watching with my parents at night. Like the whole family would get together and we'd watch Star Trek. If it had been like that, I wouldn't have watched Star Trek when I was a kid. <laughs> I would not have been allowed to watch this. <laughs> well, I even had to tell my wife, "You may not want to watch yeah. this. It's pretty graphic." It was. It was graphic. Um, yeah, and it's. I, I feel like that they just took it to eleven on on the violence and the revenge and the actual um, kind of explodey murder at the end. <laughs> it was. Right. It was wild. One of the things that uh, struck me, it seems Picard is really playing an aging character now. He didn't seem to move as well. He didn't seem to think as well. He didn't seem to be as articulate. Uh, I don't know if that is just a function of being, I think he's 79, or it's it's really him. He is in character now. Any thoughts on that one way or the other? I, I was kind of distracted on on Picard as a character by Picard's character being in character as the also cartoonish French villain. Uh, (laughs) I mean, I I live in Quebec, right? So I I have a fair amount of experience with various French accents, and that was something else. It seemed like it was a a bad screenwriter's dream of a bad French accent. It was... It was as an actor. I think he had so much fun with it. Now that, that was kind of cool. Right. Um, but right. As a character, it was almost kind of given what he's been through. His interactions with Seven almost had kind of a what I, it seemed like a misplaced idealism. It's like you know we've got to regain our humanity and be optimistic and, and you know strive for the highest all these kind of traditional Starfleet Federation goals. Um, after the fourteen years that have just passed, and even the last five episodes that have just passed, have completely proven none of that to be. The, accurate or useful so I, I don't know it was maybe kind of a wishful thinking but it was, I thought it was a kind of a strange choice the other thing that struck me is um, I can't recall uh, the uh, length of time that uh, Picard was assimilated but it was just a matter of days mm-hmm. um, and obviously seven of nine was years uh, and he seems to have if not more angst than her Certainly a huge amount of angst that he has not processed at all um, and still struggles with to this day. Um, that just seemed to me to be uh, just out of balance. I'd agree with you there. Uh, yeah, maybe uh, maybe an ego issue. How could it possibly happen to Picard, famous throughout the Federation, as opposed to, you know, an innocent small child with <laughs> very little personal power? So uh, from that, it might have actually been kind of emotionally worse for Picard, who knew what he was losing, compared to a child who had no idea. What were some of the highlights for you, Megan? Uh, absolutely loved uh, the Rios and Rafi chemistry. I thought it was adorable, especially right at the beginning. 
um, the cookie scene when we were kind of learning about Agnes's or Dr. Gerardi's relationship with Maddox. Um, I'm so there for like the make your own cookies party because <laughs> um, Replicated could not possibly be as good. Um, tons of respect for that. Free Cloud as a place I found was really, really fascinating. It was like the Cayman Islands or Vegas of space. Um, so I thought that was really, really interesting, uh, especially like kind of the, the hologram pop-up ads. Those were super cool. Right. Um, and I did really, really enjoy being right about Girardi. <laughs> um, Let's say that. Okay. <laughs> what about yours? What were your highlights? Well, these are some of the cookies that I picked up on uh, in the movie. And by cookies, I mean references to prior. Okay. Uh, there, there were a lot. There were a lot of those. I have to say my favorite was the reference to the Breen and Cork. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Breen are just some badass dudes. And um, apparently Rios helped Cork with a Breen problem. We don't know what that was. Ichab, as you talked about, and that's that part of the um, Voyager story. Mm-hmm. And then Bruce Maddox from TNG mm-hmm. is a kind of an ongoing cookie, but uh, he really, uh, I thought, had a, much obviously much bigger role this time. And then it's not really a cookie, but the um, comment on Rios as the brooding existentialist. Oh, that was good. That was completely (laughs) resonated with me. Uh, If I, that's what I want to be. I want to be the the solo pilot existentialist reading philosophy as I'm barreling through space. Will will you Um, have like five versions of yourself in hologram form that you don't enjoy talking to? Well, uh, I might do that just to remind myself of my numerous personalities. Uh, But uh, I've always appreciated a good brooder. Uh, I know he's never been on Star Trek, but the ultimate brooder in my mind is Rufus Mm -hmm. Sewell and uh, one of the great brooders of all time. And so I practice brooding. Uh, I've never really gotten it down, but uh, a brooding existentialist spaceman. What about uh, what cookies really struck you? Well, uh, the the cork, the comment about cork as a reference. Did you also catch the franchise of Quark's Bar? I really enjoyed that. That that was awesome. Um, I I love Quark. Uh, of all like Star Trek characters throughout time, maybe the winner for character development over the course of a series in DS Nine. Um, let's see, what else did I have? Cookie-wise, those were the ones I got. I wanted to get... I had a question for you, actually, um, about kind of those hologram pop-up ads. Um, What kind of information do you think would have to be collected or available about someone to get a personalized, to-your-taste hologram pop-up in public in front of other people on a starship like that? Well, uh, actually, I thought with the ship, it was pretty straightforward. They were mm-hmm. able to analyze the efficiency of, uh, you know, the engine. So I thought that one was actually grounded in, in some mm-hmm. pretty solid reality. Um, as they moved to the individuals, uh, that did uh, made me wonder if they were running some sort of uh, retinal or mental scan or, or perhaps that mm-hmm. information is available digitally. And when you have to declare the crew aboard the ship, I assume they have to declare. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that uh, makes sense. That would uh, pull that data. Because, I mean, you know, you go to London, I get a Facebook ad saying, have you tried these restaurants in London? Because <laughs> I'm true. tag. So um, I just thought that was a kind of an extension of where we are now. That's, that's fair. I think the, the last, uh, uh, this is probably isn't really like an Easter egg or a cookie, um, but Elnor. Um, I thought in this one he was kind of being like the character who has no idea really what kind of cultural 
context he's gotten gotten himself into, um, which I think has been in a lot of series. So like Data was initial, uh, Data was you know the character who had no idea what was going on, and we got to kind of put ourselves in the fish out of water. Um, that has been in so many different series. I, I like that Elnor is playing that role, and I thought he was adorable. So, since you're the one who called Doctor Gerard, <laughs> what the heck is going on with Doctor Gerardi? Okay. I think it's fair to assume that it's not like a delayed lover's quarrel revenge fantasy. Um, um, although the whole relationship thing, there has not yet been a good, healthy, functional relationship modeled on the show. I'm waiting for that. <laughs> so we've got a hot for teacher thing. <laughs> but, okay. So I, I, I would not have guessed this before because I thought, you know, initially she was maybe turned or was going to be acting against her kind of a secret agent. I got the sense from this that she was acting in good faith and that she genuinely believed that killing Maddox was the right thing to do based on some information that she'd received. So I didn't get kind of that it was easy, that it was nefarious. I think she really struggled with that, but that whole kind of, I wish you knew what I knew. I wish I didn't know what I know. Um, so I think, you know, there was a lot of earnestness uh, in that. And it was also kind of interesting to see a character, a male character, be refrigerated to advance the plot when normally you don't. So that, I mean, kind of the same with Icheb. Um, Ichab and Maddox that happened to both of them I, I, I didn't hate that just on a kind of narrative balance type of thing <laughs> just on a gender basis just on a gender basis you know don't dish it out if you can't take it it's nice to see once in a while <laughs> well uh, then let me tell you my wife's theory and okay yeah yeah mine. my wife's theory was there was some point where she actually said what it was but it, she said it so low we could never hear it and I don't know if that was deliberate. I don't know if that was just a bad sound audio. Um, but my wife said he harvested her eggs without her knowledge, and that formed the basis of Soji and Dodge. Okay, no, that's worth a murdering. Yeah, no, I can get behind that. <laughs> and someone told her that. That was the information. Okay. That was her take. My take was that this... The uh, raid on Mars was actually, um, if not planned by the uh, Federation, it was uh, mm-hmm. sanctioned or allowed by the Federation. And they're equally uh, culpable in this as the Romulans are, and that the she is a plant by the Federation um, to keep uh, to to find uh, Soji mm-hmm. so that she can be terminated. Because if she's not terminated. Uh, it's going to expose the whole conspiracy. And so that they said something or, or co- communicated something to her to have her join voluntarily uh, or somewhat voluntarily, uh, she's not coerced because she believes in what she's doing. But I think she's a – first I thought she was a Tal Shiar plant, but now I'm convinced she's a Federation plant. But my wife sees it, you know, in a very different light. Um, I, I think we're just going to need more data on that egg harvesting thing. <laughs> but, um, I, I think she's a Federation pawn or a Talshiar pawn more than a plant. Um, right. Because I, I, I guess I just don't see that much like earnestness being faked if she was kind of doing it more of her own volition. Like she's, she plainly has free will and is making choices, but I think, you know, she's been given information that has convinced her um, that something worse would happen if she didn't do this. So I'd say a well-meaning plant. So what about when Seven of Nine murders um, her tormentor? I, I think it 
would have been a lot more nuanced if the the Jaisal character wasn't so like exaggeratedly irredeemably evil. Like it didn't seem like a, a moral quandary of any kind to get rid of this horrible character. Um, so I mean, it seemed like a really reasonable thing to do, and I, I don't think it really advanced Seven of Nine's character in any significant way. It just seemed like if someone is going to be like, like harvesting right. parts out of a body without anesthetic, there's no profit motive for that. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> so I, I, I thought it just didn't ring true to me in any real way. And I mean, from like a Star Trek concept, a murder like that is uncommon. Um, but from a, your actions have consequences standpoint, completely right. it tracks. I was surprised when I saw it the first time and it happened, definitely surprised, particularly after that long kind of chat with Picard. Mm-hmm. Um, I really thought she was going off back to being a ranger. and I'm sure she will, but, uh, she definitely took care of business. She took care of business. And I think, I mean, I, li- I really liked what she said about um, kind of wanting to protect Picard. And maybe this kind of plays into what you were saying earlier a little bit about Picard kind of being, you know, older and a little more vulnerable. And now kind of, rather than being the main actor and the protector, people want to protect him and kind of preserve his hopes. And cause I-, I thought it was kind of sweet that she wanted to leave him out of the unpleasant reality of cold-blooded murder. <laughs> Uh, the other thing I really liked was when Gerardi and Rios, uh, Rios asked Gerardi, uh, who is this woman? In, and then it, it turns out everyone had heard of Seven of Nine mm-hmm. uh, as the range, the Borg Ranger. From the Delta from Quadrant. Her, from the Delta Quadrant, <laughs> which I thought was extraordinarily cool. Oh, seeing Rios dressed up um, like in, in that ridiculously flamboyant outfit, uh, the feather and the cap line was really funny, I thought. The pimp outfit. Absolutely. The pimp outfit, yeah. A lot went on in this episode. It was, uh, I thought, uh, emotionally a roller coaster. Uh, the murder of uh, Maddox at the end, uh, I thought, was was pretty gut-wrenching. Mm-hmm. The opening scene was graphically gut-wrenching. The, um, the Vut character, mm-hmm. uh, I'm glad there are not more of those guys around. Because <laughs> uh, he not only can sniff out who he doesn't like, but he terminates them on a whim. Mm-hmm. So uh, he was a pretty formidable character. Action-wise, once again, I thought it was great. Uh, and I thought the storyline really uh, started really speeding along. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with you. I think, for my taste, it, it went just a little faster than I would have liked. Because I think, maybe I'm, I'm a character watcher, so I think a little more time for people to, to chew over things. Um would have been helpful, but yeah, it was, it was really excited. I'm really excited to see what happens next. Well, I, I have no idea what's going to happen next at this point. Like I assume they're going to go find Soji, but like so many wing turns have just happened. that I have no confidence in what I think is going to happen next. I hope seven comes back. Well, I will, I will only tell you it gets better. Ah, okay. Do we get to see Riker yet? Are we at, are we at the Riker part? I'm not going to say. <laughs> okay. We're not going to double spoiler. Just spoiler on this episode. Well, Megan, I greatly look forward to episode six and uh, enjoy it. Me too. Thanks, Tom. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.